Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. John Pabin, thank you so much for joining us on the Greener Way. Would you take a couple of minutes and just introduce yourself to the to our audience? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, first off. Uh, you know, I call myself a pragmatic altruist. I've been in the sustainability space for about 20 years, and I started off at the United Nations. But after I left there, I sort of traveled the world looking at sustainability firsthand. So that's, you know, in factories, on the fields. I, I spent quite a bit of time living and working, you know, in a palm oil plantation in Borneo, and then uh, also with Fortune 500. So my little piece of the sustainability universe now is working with larger sort of Fortune 500 organizations on their sort of G part of the ESG. So looking at transparency, governance, uh, communications work. Um, and then, you know, I do a bit of writing as well. So I have a, a book out called Sustainability for the Rest of Us. And I have one all about greenwashing coming up in the new year. And that is all the plugging I'm going to do because I want to talk about greenwashing with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's, look, plug away. We're here. We're here to be your platform for this, John. Um, it's interesting that you've uh, that you sort of conceptualized this as talking about the governance part of things, because sort of in my head, if I think about ESG sort of visually, the G is sort of the umbrella term with with everything else flowing from that from a corporate perspective. I, I think sort of fundamentally at a pragmatic level. Um, what does that mean for you if you're talking about governance, transparency, and sustainability? How does that? How, how does? How do you sort of conceptualize that thematic for yourself? Yeah, so for me, it's always a starting point around materiality, and I know that that might be a divisive issue in the in the profession. But you know, it's for any client, materiality is where it starts. It helps me understand what's going on in their business, but it definitely helps them focus on what it is they need to to focus on. So, and I think a lot of times, you know, in sustainability companies, particularly as they're starting out, want to do everything, and because of that, they end up doing nothing at all. So, having that focus is is super important. Uh, and then going from there into the stakeholder engagement part of it is obviously the second most critical area of governance. And then from there, how you talk about all of that. So that could be the communications aspect of it. It could be the reporting aspect or just transparency in general, but really working on those three major elements of governance, which as I talk about it, I guess that's that's kind of all the governance. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's interesting, sort of the the way in which governance sort of appears as thematic and sustainability. I can remember sort of uh, you know in, I've been doing this publication for almost twelve years now, um, and in the early days, environmental and social issues were sort of a proxy for governance, and now it's almost sort of upended that you know if you want to have good social and environmental outcomes, you've got to have the governance frameworks and and practices in place first. Absolutely. Let's talk about that other G word uh, you mentioned before, greenwashing. Um, certainly, it, the word came into its own in 2022. Um, it's I we can't I can't imagine that it's going to be less of a concern in 2023. So let's let's get on to the subject of your book, John, and uh, sort of your work at the moment. How do businesses make sure they're not greenwashing, or perhaps even worse, green wishing? I love the green wishing, and mm. <laughs> there's so many different sort of uh, takes on this. There's blue washing, yeah. green washing, green wishing. I, rainbow I love it. wash, rainbow Rain washing for the SDGs. That. Yes, this is absolutely <laughs> right. Um, I, I think the the first thing we sort of have to go back to basics, right? So the the very first thing that companies need to do, and 
even before I start all of that, I'll take a step back and talk about different types of greenwashing because it's not all created equal. So mm-hmm. in terms of segments and certainly what we've noticed post-COVID, and yes, I know we're still in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> but as we're coming out this other end of it, there's been a massive uptick in greenwashing. And I think a lot of that is because companies now have realized, oh, I can jump on the sustainability bandwagon and make a, a bunch of money off of it. So they've realized they're mm-hmm. behind. So they're trying to play catch up. And because of that, I think a lot of times they're accidentally greenwashing because they're trying to do so much. So not giving Mm. them a pass, you know, it's just as bad, Mm. but that kind of contextualizes things a bit. Then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the segment that are doing it outright. They're lying. They have it built into their marketing mix. And that's a whole different Mm. kettle of fish. Uh, Mm. So those are kind of the big segments. But even when it comes to what greenwashing is, there's there's three big types of greenwashing. You have the outright lies, the green speak, Mm -hmm. but that's even becoming slicker as as companies realize consumers aren't so stupid. So, you know, they they like to throw statistics out that make no sense. They do claims that they know consumers are not going to research or fact check, Mm -hmm. which is true. Mm Uh, so that's that's sort of the, the blatant part of greenwashing. Then you get a little slicker when you get into sort of this misdirection. And I like mm-hmm. to use the analogy of you know, the Wizard of Oz. You know, so Dorothy and and then the folks they get to they get to Oz. They they see this these big fireballs and the big head. And then Toto goes over to the curtain and pulls it back and sees this feeble old man sort of, you know, pushing buttons and pulling levers. And mm-hmm. that's what companies are doing. You know, they're they're misdirecting because they know they're feeble. They know they're not doing the right things and they're obfuscating from the truth. So mm-hmm. misdirecting the public with uh, fancy language. You know, the funniest thing is really around these semiotics. So how they use that's a fancy marketing term, semiotics. Oh. So how they use, uh, you know, colors and and symbols mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. really convince consumers that they're sustainable, you know, green packaging mm-hmm. or you slap a panda bear on something and all of a sudden mm-hmm. people think, oh, you're great. So that's the second type. And then, of course, there's the sort of the really cashed up companies, particularly in highly polluting industries that will fund these sort of lobbying groups that appear on the surface to be sustainable or to be NGOs, but in reality, mm-hmm. they're just working for working for the man, so to speak. So those mm-hmm. are the big types. Now, to mm. get, I guess to get back to your question, what can companies do? It goes back to, like we talked about a minute ago, understanding your audience is, mm. is A, the most important, your stakeholders, your audience. So a, a funny little analogy is this guy, Tony Piliceno. And a lot of people might not know his name, but they'll know his TikTok videos because during the mm-hmm. pandemic he would do these paint mixing videos where oh he god would, yes uh-huh. yeah so he would mix them <laughs> and, you, and you'd be like okay what's what's the color going to be and it was really fun he worked for a company called mm-hmm. Sherwin Williams is an American mm-hmm. you would know Sherwin Williams you're a big paint Absolutely. company hundred years old um, you know you you would figure this is opening up a, a very unsexy industry into an entirely new segment of younger consumers but Sherwin mm-hmm. Williams said Mm-mm. you know they fired the guy because he violated the social media policy and that's just that's just not understanding who your stakeholders are. And we're doing the same mm-hmm. thing in sustainability. We're not listening to the audience. We're not listening to our stakeholders. So it's really, as a first step, getting back to understanding what the internal and external folks want. And as professionals mm-hmm. listening to listening to this today, you know, you have your universe of stakeholders that's always expanding. You have your internal folks. You have the external ones that are financing the whole operation, basically. And then mm-hmm. that third ring of, of those that give you the license to operate. So civil society, mm-hmm. government, understanding everything that they want is so, so critical. And then going from that, really getting into the material issues and making whatever you're communicating, making it strategic. And, you know, I've done mm-hmm. quite a bit of work with DocuSign over the past year. And everybody knows DocuSign. You know, we, we've used DocuSign for years. And mm-hmm. What we don't sort of realize, and an aha moment for me, was 
they're not just a super cool, innovative, you know, tech company that's doing great things mm. on the digital side. Mm. Think about all the trees they've saved. You know, I, mm. I, 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 even as a sustainability professional, I didn't put two yeah. and two together until I was working with yeah. them. I'm like, oh, of course, you've yeah. saved millions of trees. You've, you know, mm-hmm. saved all the, the carbon footprint all by just mm-hmm. moving things online. And that's because they thought strategically about the things they were doing. And that's not mm-hmm. just as a way to save the planet. Sure, they did great mm-hmm. things by the planet, but mm-hmm. it just makes business sense, right? Because why mm-hmm. wouldn't you move things digitally? And why wouldn't you, mm-hmm. you know, think of, of tech and then make it into sort of tech for mm-hmm. good? So a great mm-hmm. example of, of thinking strategically about mm-hmm. what you're doing. And I think once you understand what your stakeholders want, once you have those material issues at hand and what you should be focusing on, it's really about Mm -hmm. communicating it out in a way that makes sense. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the biggest struggles that we have, particularly on the communication side of sustainability, is that companies that are doing the right thing tend not to talk about it because they sort Mm -hmm. of feel it's it's inauthentic. And I think Mm -hmm. we need to get those companies that are doing great things because there's so many of them we need to get them out there. We need to get them talking about things. We, We can't make them too nervous that they're going to greenwash uh, because mm-hmm. we need to get the message out so that it sort of builds that that virtuous cycle. And I think a good reminder for companies, because by and large companies are very uh, conservative when it comes to communications, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that your consumers, your stakeholders, they don't expect you to be perfect. Mm. They do expect you to be honest. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. okay to make mistakes, but own up to them and fix mm-hmm. them. And that's sort of the way we should look at particularly sustainability comms going forward. It's been really interesting. I think sort of in the back end of the year, John, there's been a couple of cases where you've had like, you know, CBUS um, a couple of months ago and then um, Vanguard last week pulling out of collaborative engagement groups or related to the net zero. So the asset net zero, asset owners, net zero asset managers. Um, and I wonder if we're in for a bit of a reckoning um, that a bunch of institutions have gone out and made public commitments and joined sort of collaborative groups um, and now are reassessing the gulf between what they need to do to achieve that and what they can achieve within the boundaries of their organization. Um, And I wonder a bit about that pullback. Is that pullback healthy, do you think, as organizations sort of reassess what they've, you know, signed up to in public and now have to deliver authentically? I think it's it's absolutely healthy because it mm-hmm. really brings into reality what it is we're doing. We can write mm-hmm. down all the commitments we want. We can say we're going to mm-hmm. do X, Y, and Z, but if it's not realistic or strategic, then kind of what's mm-hmm. the point? We're just deluding ourselves. So I mm-hmm. think by companies taking a step back and reassessing what they're doing and making more realistic uh, plans, so versus mm-hmm. a you know carbon neutral by 2050, maybe they're saying, okay, we're going to do... 10% by 2030. I would rather see that very strategic, realistic statistic than something that's just, just a bunch of fluff and ends up greenwashing at the end of the day. So I think it's all mm. a great thing. And I think certainly what's happening here in Australia, which is quite interesting, is this, this confluence of, of companies realizing, okay, we need to be better about how we're approaching this, not just because you know we're at risk of greenwashing, but because it makes business sense. And then mm. from the top down, you have the the government coming in and saying, you know, we're going to be watching you. We're going to be finding mm-hmm. you. We're going to be really making sure that you're doing what it is you say you're doing. And I, I love that sort of top down, middle up kind of approach mm. to sustainability. You know, I spent 10 years of my career in China, which is sort of the command and control economy. And yeah. they've been able to make such forward momentum with sustainability because they do have that command and control. So the government says Mm -hmm. it, you do it. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't work in all instances. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work in every country. But I think 
in instances like getting corporations to move the needle a little bit more, mm-hmm. having the government step in and and dictate is is a move in the right direction. So a, a lot of praise for what what's happening out of Canberra. Look, it's we're we're recording this in the backdrop of uh, of, of Treasurer Jim Chalmers yesterday announcing that there's going to be more standards on on climate disclosure going forward, which which does feel like a big step forward um, from the Australian perspective that there's going to be uh, an element of prescription on what good disclosure looks like. But it's off the back of a lot of global momentum um, around all sorts of governance and reporting stats, isn't it? That's right. I mean, the UN and the the new standards that are coming out, and mm. this is a, a topic for a different day because we could talk about it for hours. But the uh, the reporting metrics and the the benchmark mm. and all this sort of thing is sort of coming to a to a head and becoming uh, a lot more streamlined because it's been confusing mm. for about a decade, really confusing. So I'm glad to see that's that's happening, and there's more of a concerted focus on how we're measuring what it is we're doing. So let's blend that into um, another part of sort of the your practice. Um, and I want to explore with you this concept that you were bringing up in your first book that, you know, the concept of sustainability hasn't had a big enough impact. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's a particularly controversial statement anymore. <laughs> I think we all wish we were a little bit further down and down the road in terms of recognizing donut economics and sort of, you know, planetary boundaries. But can you just explain what you mean when you say that, you know, sustainability as a concept hasn't shifted the needle enough um, and, and what needs to happen going forward to get us where we need to be going? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the the biggest issue is that we're not marching in lockstep anymore. So if we go back to sort of sustainability 1.0, right? So mm-hmm. the the 1950s, 1960s, when we the, the, the proper modern environmental movement started, you had Rachel Carson, and mm-hmm. you even had folks in the government, you know, which is shocking that have politicians in line with building a sustainable future. But it was true. I mean, yeah. Earth Day was founded by a group of American senators, which is mm-hmm. shocking to think mm-hmm. about in, in today's perspective. And at that time, everybody was moving in lockstep. Everybody had a, a, a shared idea of where we were trying to get to. And that obviously helps move the needle. You know, I'm going to use an, an overused adage of the African proverb, you know, if you want mm-hmm. to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. But it really mm-hmm. rings true with this. And mm. as time went by, you know, you have sustainability 2.0, which was kind of the the era of the 80s and greed and conglomeration that that really messed us up and put us going in different <laughs> directions. And even within that period, you sort of had the professionalization of NGOs. So a lot of people assume NGOs are, are doing great. And yes, a lot of them are doing amazing work, but they're corporations just like anything else. So they're held to to the needs of stakeholders as well. And then you get into kind of the past 15 years, which is where we've really seen uh, a stronger effort by the private sector to become more sustainable, truly authentically sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's where we are now. And we're sort of seeing, as you mentioned before, this reckoning, this, this changing, we're in this changing mm-hmm. period where we know we need to do something more. We know sustainability mm-hmm. is no longer fit for purpose because if I ask five people to define it, I'm going to get a hundred mm-hmm. different answers. So mm-hmm. right now it's really about finding, okay, who is going to lead us? Because we have the activists on one end of the the scale who are passionate and they're vocal, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the most pragmatic or strategic in the things that they're doing. You have the mm-hmm. folks on the other end who maybe like the governments, for example, who have sort of given up by and large. I mean, there's, I think, one country out of 194 that's on track to meet their Paris targets. It's it's shocking mm-hmm. that this far along governments are still not doing anything because they've handballed mm-hmm. it back to the people. Mm-hmm. We don't have as individuals capacity or resources 
to do mm-hmm. what needs to be done. So I think that in in my world, at least, it really falls on the private sector to be doing the lion's share of the mm-hmm. work. And I suppose on a, a positive note, my my crystal ball projection would be in 15 <laughs> or 20 years time as your consumer, you go to the mm. shelf, all choices are going to be sustainable because companies mm. that haven't played ball, they're not going to be around much longer. So mm. that's in, in a decade or more's time. So we're just mm. in this transition period now, but on a hopeful note, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. I, I wonder about that. You know, I obviously, you know, um, you know, as as managing editor of, of the sustainability of FS sustainability, my job is to I, I talk about investment and business uh, sustainability. But I sort of wonder if that's not you know, whether or not the pendulum swinging too far in the direction of financialization and financial metrics of sustainability. Where really this is an incredibly you know this is a, an incredibly broad and interrelated um, series of concepts. You know the just transition or an equitable transition. Um, you know, should we be relying on, you know, a tech solution to climate change that doesn't take into account human rights, things like that? So how does, you know, uh, how do you foresee this? You know, is this sort of going to be a series of pendulum shifts back and forth over the, as we oscillate for the next 15 years? Or is there a way to bring these stakeholders together um, where we're creating a, a common umbrella series of terms for sustainability that doesn't sort of swing towards one stakeholder group to the other? I I think it's probably going to be less of pendulum shifts over time and probably more of mm-hmm. kind of a slingshot where it'll happen, it'll sort of click all of a sudden and things will mm-hmm. fall into place. And I don't know if that's being too hopeful. <laughs> like I said, I call myself a pragmatic altruist, so hopefully I'm not being too <laughs> altruistic with that with that notion. But I, I sort mm-hmm. of seeing it happen now, if you just look back to, to COP in Egypt, the, the past mm-hmm. conference, it's Mm. The the blowback from that because you had what what people are calling um, sustainability what are they calling them narcissists <laughs> so all the influencers that showed up there because sustainability is now the sexy thing to do which I guess is <laughs> it's what it's what we wanted but you know not in the way that it materialized so you know we're we're getting there but there's there's uh, there's an eye on it now people are watching it it's no longer an issue of getting people to pay attention. Now it's an mm-hmm. issue of everybody's paying attention. What do we do with that platform? Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that that nexus point is is it's happening now. You have the financial mm-hmm. community, the investor community coming in to say, hey, we'll give you lots of money if you do X, Y, and Z, because for us, we need to make sure our portfolios are sound. That's great. And I hope that doesn't go too far in the wrong direction, like you were sort of alluding mm-hmm. to. You have corporations as well coming in and saying, okay, we need to do better with what we're doing. Governments too are starting to realize okay, we need to be putting a bit more of our, our thumb on the scales here. So all of mm. that in, in my mind, and consumers, of course, you know, that mm. underlies everything. The consumers are demanding more of, of companies and what they're standing for. So I think mm. all of that is reaching, again, this nexus point that we're going to see a, a slingshot into something different. When that happens, I don't know, but, mm. uh, but I, I do see it sort of moving that direction. From from my perspective, you know, you're, you're a pragmatic altruist. I always think, you know, in the absence of sure knowledge about the future, choose hope over despair. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> it. Um, so, looking forward, um, then, John, you know, what are the biggest impacts, tipping points, catalysts uh, that you can foresee that will challenge or provide opportunity um, for all of these stakeholders going forward in this area of, of building a more sustainable economy? It's an interesting question. I think we probably touched on a a few of those uh, a bit already. I think Mm. consumers are going to be quite an inflection point and whether or not 
these external factors like financial crises or uh, you know just being able to to heat your home at night, which is sort of mm-hmm. important. You mm-hmm. know those things if they don't sort of distract us from moving the the direction that we've already been moving in toward a sustainable future. You know we we already see lots of statistics around consumers wanting companies to be ethical, companies to stand for something, and to be willing to pay a bit more for organic or sustainable products. So we're seeing that happening. I hope that continues to move in a positive direction. Mm -hmm. I think as well, this is both a barrier, but a potential opportunity are international organizations like the United Nations, my my old uh, my old boss, <laughs> that you know they they do need to take a, a long hard look at what they're doing and if their approaches are still fit for purpose. I don't believe they are. I don't think mm. many people would argue with me about that. Mm. So so how do we how do we change that? How do they change that to be a little bit more sustainable and fit for purpose? And also, again, how we use this massive platform that we now have that we've never had before of corporations, media, governments, individuals, all wanting to know what's next and wanting to support what's next. How do we use that platform and how do we corral all of these resources to go in the right direction? As we talked about a second ago, we're, we're at this point now where it can go one of two ways. We can corral this platform to go the mm-hmm. right way or we can let it run amok. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if COP27 is an indication, we're not going the right way, but you know, it's still early on so we can push it in the right direction. 100%. All right. Well, let's leave it on that note of hopefulness. John Pabin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.